continue our series talking about the supremacy of Christ in all things. The passage this morning, Paul is coming off of talking about how unbelievable Jesus is, that he is the center of all things. Everything has been made through him and for him, uh, through him and by him, by him, through him and for him. All of creation, nothing has been made or nothing is that hasn't been made by him. Uh, And so he has first place and authority in all things. He is supreme in all things. And that means that he doesn't get a slice or a sliver of our lives, but he's really worthy of all of our lives and everything that we have. And so Jesus is uh, supreme. He is supreme. And as he flows from that thought, he challenges the Colossian church with some foundational things. And then he shifts into the end of chapter or, the, or chapter two, verse one, and he begins this prayer for them or to talk about his struggle on their behalf. Now, the end of chapter one, he says that his struggle and his effort and his aim is that everybody would be complete in Christ. He wants everybody to be complete in Christ. And I talked about last week how his completion, when he refers to being complete in Christ, it's not a that's not something we're striving to get to. Okay, it's not that you know, hey, I've been a Christian for 10 years, so I'm about halfway complete in Christ, and maybe someday I'll be fully complete in Christ. No, no. Completion in Christ is not something we're trying to attain. That's something that is available to us right now. To be complete in Christ is just to be, to allow Jesus to be all of who he is in our life. It's really an issue about full surrender. It's not about attaining. It's not about achieving. It's not about gaining or growing in. It's about resting in the reality of who we are in Christ. Again, the gospel, the good news, the message of the Bible, the whole point of which Jesus is the center is not the diving board that jumps us off into Christianity, but it's the pool that we swim in. Okay, that's the whole deal. Is Christ in me the hope of glory? Christ in you the hope of glory? And so this was a mystery in the past, not fully revealed, shadowed, um, implied, uh, slowly kind of God was seeding along and helping them see this, this seed planted in Genesis was growing and growing and growing and kind of came to fruition in plain, complete view in the person of Christ, the life, death, burial of Jesus, resurrection of Jesus. And now it's in full bloom. We see it and the mystery is no longer hidden. It's completely there for us. And it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so that's where he's ended. So then we get to chapter two, verse one, and he begins with this phrase. He says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf. And for those who are in Laodicea, I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are in Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face. That their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance and understanding resulting in the true knowledge of God's mystery. So your first that mystery again that he was talking about in the previous chapter, that mystery that is Christ himself. That's the mystery, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say to you, say this to you, so that no one will delude you, deceive you with persuasive arguments. For even though I am absent in the body, nevertheless, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see 
your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Now, we'll pick up verse 6 next week, but we've got plenty to camp out on in these first five verses this morning. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf for those who are in Laodicea and for those who have not personally seen my face. Now, he's talking to the church at Colossae, uh, the Colossian church, and Laodicea is kind of down the road, so it's like Kingsport, Johnson City, or Bristol, Johnson City, or Bristol, Kingsport, whatever. Two cities not far, and he's referring to the believers kind of down the road. You know those guys in Laodicea? I haven't gotten to see them yet, and I haven't gotten to see you yet. I've never, Paul never, at this point, he hadn't set foot in um, Colossae, and so he'd never been there. So why, how is it that he can struggle on their behalf? How is he fighting on their behalf? I mean, it's not like the days today where, you know, I can struggle on behalf of somebody who lives somewhere else and I can minister on their behalf because we, we can do mobile offices. We could just FaceTime or I could send them an email or I could just forward something or we can interact other ways. It's not mobile office thing going on here. Okay, this is, that's not what Paul's talking about. So how is he laboring on their behalf? And there's multiple ways he maybe could do that. Three primary ways that come to mind. One of those ways is he could, he could be, he's writing them a letter. In, in essence, the letter of Colossians is a sermon under the inspiration of God, uh, inspired by God through Paul. God's writing his word through Paul, and this, this inspired word is, is a sermon he's preparing. So one of the things, in a dark dungeon, um, in the oppression, in the, in the, in the imprisonment that, that Paul is under in the moment of penning this letter, he's struggling on their behalf, to record and to write these things, having heard of some of the challenges that they're dealing and some of the opposition that they're dealing with, some heresies that have kind of snuck in that, are, that are, they're being confronted with. He's trying to help them and instruct them. So he's struggling on their behalf by dealing with some heresies and giving them some instruction and writing this sermon, this letter to them to help them in their faith. That's one way. And I'm certainly, I'm sure that's part of it. Another way is he could be discipling people like uh, Tychicus or Epaphras. He could be discipling, pouring into them and encouraging them and building them up. Okay, here's what else you need to tell them, Epaphras. When you get there, remind them of this truth. Think about this. They need to know this thing. That, so certainly by pouring into the people that are going to pour into them, that's another way. By discipling those who will disciple them. That's a second way he could be doing it. But I think there's a third way that is really what's going on here. <clears throat> the way he's struggling on their behalf is through prayer. It's through prayer. You know, there's people in your life that need your presence. They need you to step into their space, step into their life, and put literally or figuratively your arm around them and, and, and be there and run the journey, run the race with them. They need your presence in their life. But I will tell you this, more than your presence, what people need is your prayers. More powerful, as powerful as our presence is, as wonderful it is, is to tangibly have somebody come beside you and encourage you with the truth of the Word of God. Shockingly, amazingly, what is more powerful is for you to pray on their behalf. To pray for them. Perhaps even better is to pray for them and let them know, hey, I'm praying for you. And, and then to know that you really mean that. But that is an amazing blessing and thing that we have responsibility we have for one another in colossians chapter 4 verse 12 here's one of the reasons why i think this is prayer is what he's talking about epaphras it says uh, verse 12 it says epaphras who is one of you a servant of christ jesus greets you always struggling he says on your behalf in his 
prayers. So Paphras is a guy they knew face to face who's now with Paul, but he is he is also praying on their behalf that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. In all the will of God, uh, we're, Warren Wiersbe said it this way, true prayer is directed to the father through the son in the power of the Holy Spirit. True prayer is to the father, father God, we're I'm praying in the name of Christ, so through the Son, Jesus, whose blood has made the way that we could even have entrance into the throne room of God in our prayers, empowered by the Holy Spirit, who even when you come to the point where you don't even know what to say, you're intensely praying for somebody, you don't know what else to say, or you're, you're out of words, God's not like, oh man, I just, you're just not eloquent enough for me to answer. No, no, the Holy Spirit comes beside and He explains the things that you don't even have words to articulate. The Holy Spirit comes beside and He is interceding on your behalf. So it, prayer, true prayer, is, is to the Father, through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the triune God involved in the midst of prayer. How amazing is that? That's awesome. But think about this. <clears throat> Have you ever considered the greatest way you can help other people is through prayer? The greatest way you could help other people, you can minister to other through to other people is through your prayers for them. In Ephesians chapter five, I believe, or six, might be six, verse one, the the battle we're battling is not flesh and blood. We're not battling a physical battle. The war we're in is a spiritual one against principalities and rulers of the air, not not a physical battle. And our tendency is to think that we can do everything on our own, that that it's our self-sufficiency and it's our ingenuity and it's our dedication and it's our discipline that makes the difference. And it isn't. It's our prayers. And that's the gospel. The whole point of the gospel, the good news, is that you can't do anything to get yourself out of the situation that you're in. And another very gospel-centric principle to know is that one of the most powerful things we can do is to pray on behalf of other people in the midst of struggling, their struggles. And, And I want you to understand that the devil understands this, okay? He could care less about you praying about frivolous things, and he could care less about, he's not feared, he doesn't fear in any way, prayerless Christians. How many of you had another believer that you know this week came to mind, you thought about them and you thought about maybe a struggle that they're in or, or issues with their marriage or issues with that they're suffering physically or, or spiritually or whatever. You, you, you thought of somebody and they, they kind of came to your mind and heart and you thought about them this week. God brought to, to mind another fellow believer that uh, is in some challenge or whatever and you thought about it. Almost everybody. How many of you turn that thought into a prayer? How many of you went past the easy thought to the heavy lifting of prayer? To the struggle, to the agony. This word struggle is agonizing. I mean, this is this is like an athlete working till max their muscles out to where they have they can't go any further how many of you got on your hands and knees and prayed on their behalf or just took a moment and just prayed for a second on behalf of that could it be that god's spirit prompted you to lift another believer up because they're in a battle and they're in a fight and they're in a war as you're in a war and god was prompting you to to go to battle on their behalf 
And how often do I, do we, have those promptings of the Spirit, and then as quick as they come, the enemy's like, hey, the air conditioner went back on. It's kind of cold in here. Hey, what are you going to do for lunch today? You probably should go get some lunch. Hey, there's an email you need to answer. Hey, there's another this. Hey, there's another that. Hey, the phone rings. Hey, message, Facebook. And and suddenly we're we're back off track. Instead of going, oh, yeah, there's other things distracting me, but this is a big deal, and I'm willing to, I, I, I need to fight on behalf of somebody right now. I need to struggle. Can we come along with Paul and say, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf. And for all those who have personally seen my face, he goes on to say that their hearts may be encouraged. So here's some of the things that he's praying for. He's saying that he could come along them, that God would come along them with encouragement to aid and comfort them, that their hearts may be encouraged. That they would be unified in love, having been knit together in love. And then to attain all of the wealth that comes from the full assurance and understanding. So, so here's some of the things. Uh, I guess I should put these up here for you. Um, here's some of the things. Struggle for our growth. The struggle for our growth is something that we're all struggling. We're all battling for one another. So, so we're in a struggle for growth. And the struggle for our growth is a communal thing. That I'm struggling for your growth, you're struggling for my growth. We need to struggle for each other's growth. And we need to go to fight and war and agonize on behalf of one another in prayer. In intercessory prayer, praying for one another. And here's some of the things we can pray about. Okay, Don't just pray about the doctor's appointment going well. Don't just pray about um, them feeling better. Don't just pray about them getting the new job. Don't just pray about them getting fixed in this area or that, or that their, that their marriage would get better, that their work situation, their family situation. That pray for a little more specifically. Stop praying for surface things. Let's move below the surface things, and let's pray for things like that they would be encouraged, that they would sense the presence of the Holy Spirit in the midst of their tribulation come beside them. So we want to pray for the solution, and we don't want to pray for the process of God growing them in the, in the struggle and the tribulation, right? What they need more than to get healed or what they need more than to get out of the situation is they need the presence of almighty god coming beside them and encouraging them in the midst of the situation pray for encouragement second we pray for that they would be unified in love and interestingly enough do you know that this love is not just an arbitrary emotional love but this is a love that is fueled and informed by fueled and informed by an understanding of the truth of God's word, understanding of full assurance and understanding of God's word and the mystery that now has been revealed. That's what he's referring to. So it's not just empty. See, sometimes we have people that are all about theology and there's no love. And then we have other people that are all about love and there's no theology behind their love. There's no, there's no doctors, no wisdom and understanding. It's just this empty love. But yet, if you have rightful beliefs and thinking, it's going to lead you to true love. And if you, have, if you want to have true love, it can't be built upon lies, but it needs to be built upon the truth. And so truth and love go together. They're, they're married together. They fuel one another. And so he's praying they'd be encouraged, unified in love, understanding, fully assured, and abundantly overflowing in their understanding of the gospel. And then the true knowledge of God's mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. God brings the mind to mind to your mind somebody that you need to pray for. What do you pray for? Pray that they would be comforted. Pray that they would 
they would be unified in love, that they would be drawn to not isolate themselves from the body, but they would be drawn into the body to, to be in greater fellowship with the body of Christ so that they can be encouraged in the truth because lies are just going to lead them to greater bondage. And undoubtedly, if they're in a struggle, they're being tempted to believe lies. And so pray that they would find the full assurance that flows from an understanding of the truth of the gospel and that they would find that Christ in them really is the hope of glory. Who should you be fighting for this week in prayer? Secondly, what are you battling alone that you could use the body of Christ to fight for you in prayer? What is it that you're battling alone that you need the body of Christ to battle for you in prayer? There's a struggle for our growth. There's a battle and we're in a fight together. We need each other this week. We need each other. We need to battle on behalf of one another this week. But there's also, he says, he's praying that they would experience the full assurance and understanding resulting in the true knowledge of the mystery. He goes on to say that is Christ himself. Christ himself in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In the next couple of minutes, I have two quick truths to, to remind you of before we wrap up this morning. Now, in Proverbs chapter 2, I don't know if you've spent much time in Proverbs, but if you want to flip there with me just for a moment, there's some beautiful stuff about wisdom throughout the book of Proverbs. I've got to go further back. Here we go. Psalms, Proverbs. So Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, Make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. So wisdom, understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth and comes knowledge and understanding. So from the mouth of God comes wisdom, knowledge, understanding. He stores up Wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice. And he preserves the way of the godly ones. Let me continue on. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity in every good course. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard your understanding, and will watch over you. To deliver you from all from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who delight in doing evil and rejoice in perversity of evil. And he continues on. I will stop there. But I, I want you to understand he personifies wisdom as something, as a person, if you if you will, if you will, you will something that you can hang around your neck, you can put on your head, you can adorn yourself, cover yourself, clothe yourself with wisdom. It's this thing that if you run after her, she's better than gold, she's better than silver, she's better. Wisdom is this wonderful thing that if you could just get it and obtain it, it will protect you from going off a path into darkness, a path into deception, from being deceived or tricked, to falling into living a life of, of false righteousness or unrighteousness. Wisdom should be longed for and, and pursued above all things. And here's what's beautiful about this is all of that points to one place. Wisdom isn't something we attain. It's not something you learn in school. It's not something you get through a book. It's not something you get by and 
in and of itself just through reading Proverbs. But wisdom is, is, is summed up in a person. And that person is Christ. The same language you find here, treasure, wisdom, and understanding, is fulfilled in the person of Christ. Look at this. It says in verse 3, ending verse 2, that is Christ himself, verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Say this, that no one will delude you. In Christ are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You want wisdom and you want knowledge? You want to pursue her? You want to run after her? You want to try to attain her so that she'll guide you, she'll protect you? She will surround you? You want that kind of wisdom? It is all summed up in Christ. It's not knowledge. It's Christ. It's knowing Him. That's where wisdom lies, is in the person of Christ. There's no other options. It's Christ. That's where wisdom is. And so he says that Christ is the hidden treasure. He's the pearl of great price. He's the one that that you come across this treasure as you're passing through a field. This is the way Jesus explained it. And you go, man, this is that looks really wow. I don't know exactly what, but that looks uh, this is a big enough deal that I'm going to get get this. I'm going to sell everything I have. Everything I'm going to take all of the jewelry that I have, my wife had, that's heirlooms, that's in our family, that's what I'm going to take my car, cars, boat, boats, I'm going to take my house, I'm going to take my 401k, I'm going to take my IRA, my Roth IRA, I'm going to take my retirement, I'm going to take everything I have, everything I have, and I'm going to liquidate everything, and I'm going to take all of that money, and I'm going to place that, I'm going to sell that, and I'm going to put that down to be able to buy this field, because within this field is a treasure, and within that treasure is something that that money will never be able to replace. That's what I want. I want the hidden treasure. I want the pearl of great price. I'm going to come across this pearl, and this pearl is so amazing, I'm going to sell everything so that I can get this pearl. And once I have this pearl, it's of value beyond anything this earth can possibly provide for me. And that is Jesus. See, for us, in an individualistic, postmodern, self-centered, you're the center of the universe world, Jesus is an option, and he is a very important part of all of our lives. And that is a heresy. You cannot multitask your relationship with Christ. He's not an option. He is not, if you will, smartphone world. He's not an app. Jesus isn't the best app on your phone. And if I can just boot up Jesus this week, because I need a little Jesus right now. I need some Jesus right now. And we, we use him as if he's a fix for a moment to help us get out of a, a you know, struggling situation or whatever. And we run to Jesus. I need some Jesus now. Let me see, where is that? Okay, there he is. And he's the operating system. He's the operating system. Everything comes back to him. He is infiltrating everything in our lives. And if we want to to put on wisdom, if we want to have knowledge, if we want to experience all that God has for us, it will be in allowing Jesus to be completely filling us in every area. Him having lordship and mastery in every area of our lives. And we will repent of the delusion and of the false belief and of the deception that we have bought into in and out of the church to say that Jesus is a very important part of our lives. If Jesus isn't everything for you, then he's nothing for you. 
And so when, when he goes on and he says, Christ himself in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And then he follows that and he says, but I say this so that no one will delude you or deceive you by false reasoning. What that is, I, I, I've seen this and if you've been to New York, you, you find this and you know, you're walking down the road and people are trying to sell you all kinds of knockoffs of other things. Or, or if you've been to other countries, um, particularly I, I, several times in Africa um, and Thailand. I was in Thailand, same thing. Marketplaces. If you've ever been to a marketplace in a foreign country, okay, you are bombarded by uh, just hordes of people. I mean, throngs of people trying to sell you their stuff. Friend, friend, come here, come here. Friend, friend, come here. I want to show you this. I want you to you want, you come by from my village my, my, or my booth. Come to my booth. Come sell. You know, I've got, and so then you come over and you look at their stuff and then you're, you're like, oh, that's very nice. Very nice. I'm going to go to another booth and you go to the next booth. You said you would buy from my booth. They get mad at you. I didn't say I would do anything. What are you talking about? Friend, friend, I thought we were friends. You come, you come back to my booth. You know, and they just, they're trying to persuade you to buy their stuff and to get their stuff. I got this. What do you need? What, do you, what are you looking for? I have it. For, I will find it for you. I will find it. And they're very helpful, and they're very, but they're trying to persuade you to buy whatever it is that they have. And they're trying to get you to, this is what he's talking about. Somebody who comes beside you, but they begin to reason with you. Okay, here's the thing. What do you need in your life? What do you, what do you got? Oh, got a bunch of kids okay let me tell you let me tell you what you need kids need today kids need today is to be busy if your kids are not busy they're going to get into trouble what your kids need is activities they need activities and they need busyness because if they don't have activities they don't have busyness then that's going to be very bad for them they need activities and they need busyness and if you can if you can do that for them then that's going to be the best thing and so what you need is to get them busy what what would i need to get them busy well you need to get them in church you need to get them in sports you need to get them in clubs you need to get them in this you need to get them in that whatever and we just we just indoctrinate them with the same craziness that all of us live in that life is going you know 90 to nothing constantly we're just going full throttle all the time so busy that god again is part of what we multitask in our life we multitask god and we got all this stuff but we have them at church and so then we feel feel guilty and i talk to parents all the time that you know i just i need to get my kid in we need to get them in a church that has um you know lots of programs and things for my kids because because yeah because dumping them off somewhere once a week is really going to make them a fully um you know a full follower of christ jesus yeah that that's going to be great i mean that youth minister and that children's minister in an hour and a half a week they will give them all they need for life and godliness for the knowledge through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory good yeah they can do that they can they can compete against all of the other influences in your child's life they can convince they can compete against all of the other medias that are in your kids' lives, all the other music, all the movies, all the video games, all the apps, all the books, all the school indoctrination, all the other stuff that your kids are being bombarded by, all of that stuff will completely be null and void because of the hour that you get them in whatever program it is you put them in. That is a deluding, deceptive voice. And there is statistics that unequivocally prove it doesn't work and that's why we do family a little different, or we're trying to in our church, and it is difficult because it is completely anti-cultural, cross-cultural to do ministry the way we're trying to do it in our, because Christians are going, hey, I need more stuff for my kids. We don't have enough stuff for our kids. And we keep saying, you, you know, you, I, you are the youth minister for your kids. You are the children's director for your children. You are, and we'll come beside you. We'll help you, and we want to do a better help. We've got to be more strategic with helping, but nonetheless... 
you can put them in the best programs on earth. And I've been in some churches that have some spectacular, unbelievable programs. And I was the college pastor in the church. And so I was in the unique vantage point of watching the droves of families that have been deceived into thinking that if you just get in the busy programs, your kid will be godly. And I watched kid after kid graduate and we gave them a Bible and we shook their hands and we prayed over them. You're going out after the world to run after the world to be an arrow and you're going to make an impact and whatever. And they tanked one after another. And then my job, I thought, was to take these awesome students that have been matured and now have graduated and to disciple them to the next level and help them grow as a college pastor. That's what I thought my job was. And then I pretty quickly I learned my job is to watch them kind of take off and launch and then crash and then come beside them and try to hopefully get them their sophomore, junior, maybe senior year and maybe get them to come back to Christ or come to a point of salvation because they had made some arbitrary decision earlier in their life that, that wasn't backed by life change and transformation and so they just jumped through a hoop and they weren't really a follower of Christ and they went out from us because they really weren't of us. And so my job was to come beside them and help them understand what the gospel was and help them begin to grow now and put back the pieces now that they have tanked in their relationship with God. And as a church, we're going, you know what? We're not going to be deceived into that. A lot of people think, you know what? My, my, kids, my kids love sports. And so if, if our church will do sport programs, then they can be in a godly athletic program instead of an ungodly athletic program. And that's what my kids, my kids need godly sports programs. That's, that will make the difference in their lives. And all we're doing is we're buying into the deception that God is, can be multitasked. He's not the center of everything. I don't care if your kids are in sports. I think it's awesome. My kids are in sports. They do different things. But Jesus needs to be the foundation of everything they do. And when we go to do our sports, we go as missionaries to the sports team. All right? We're missionaries there. And there's no point in us doing that here because we don't have the facilities for it. We're not going to spend the money on the facilities because there's plenty of facilities all around to do fields and gyms and all kinds of things. Let's just go to all of those places as missionaries, not trying to keep up with the neighbors so that our kids can get the better scholarships or the same scholarship. The goal isn't to keep up with society. You've got to keep coming back to, at the end of the day, what do we want to see? Are we about the Great Commission? At the end of the day, do we want to see disciples made in every tribe, tongue, and nation? Or do I want my kids to have a good job and have a good retirement and have a good life and have a good... Because it's not going to work. And you're going to find yourself at the top of the ladder leaning on the wrong wall. And you're going to find that you helped your kids get up the first few rungs of the wrong ladder. And I want you to understand, it's easy for me to stand up here and talk about the crazy world that is diluting different organizations and states into having uh, people having the freedom to pick whatever bathroom that they want. Okay? And we, I can rail about that, and you all probably amen me, and we can go off. We can jump on that, and we can make a big deal, and we can go to attack about it. We can get mad at different companies because they don't say Merry Christmas anymore, and we can preach about that. We can preach about the deluding influences in our culture that are taking God out of school or prayer out of school or the, the universities that are indoctrinating kids into Marxism and socialism. And, and I'm a, I have a problem with that. I'm with you on that. That's all bad. There's tons of deluding influences out there. But at some point, we've got to come back to the fact that, you know what, the church has been deluded plenty. How is it that we live in a place that has buildings, church buildings on every corner, and yet we're as ungodly as any other part of our country? 
and we think that we're all right, we have been deluded. We have been deceived in Christ. The hidden treasure is not our treasure. He's an app. He's not the operating system. We have tried to multitask him. We are deluded. We have not believed the gospel. And we have not rested in the fact that Christ in me, the hope of glory, is the answer for all things. In Christ is the hidden wisdom and understanding and all of the things. I say this, that no one will delude you with persuasive arguments. It's false advertising. It sounds reasonable. It makes sense. But it's not. For even though I am absent from you in body, nevertheless, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. I want you to know that we have been offered, you have a choice between the treasure, the hidden treasure, which is Christ, or fool's gold. You've got an option. The treasure, which is Christ, or fool's gold. And I I want you to dig a little deeper. And as you're growing your relationship with Christ, say, well, what what are the things that we're not believing about Christ? What are the things that I'm trying to pursue? What are the ways I'm trying to solve the problems in my life? What are the ways I'm trying to put band-aids on and deal with surface issues so that I can manage my way out of these things so that we can have a better godly American dream, Christian, whatever family? And and, and, in what ways is Christ not the center, foundation, the hidden treasure in our lives? What fool's gold have we bought and do we treasure that really is empty and deceptive and quite frankly destructive in our lives and he says this is the beautiful thing in this paul says this not condemning them but encouraging them because he says even though i'm absent in body even though i'm away from you and i'm struggling and i'm praying on your behalf i'm agonizing in prayer on your behalf for your personal holiness and your growth and for the gospel to continue to bear fruit in you. Nevertheless, I'm with you in spirits. I'm with you even though I'm not with you. I'm with you. Rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Good discipline is meaning it's it's referring to a military structure. It's, It's like a unit in formation going into battle. And what he's saying is he's like, when I think of you guys, I think of you as like the Roman army in a formation about to go and about to attack. You guys are, are you're disciplined in spiritual things man christ is the center you're all attuned to the head and your head the head the master your general has called you into battle and I, as i'm praying for you from a distance i can envision the fact that you are in the right positions and right order and you're fighting the battle well you're weathering the storm well the gospel's growing and bearing fruit in you and i'm seeing the fruit in it so i don't want to discourage you. i want to encourage you but stay in formation Stay in formation. The enemy's trying to deceive you into going off to the right or to the left. He's trying to deceive you into going different directions. But I want you to to stay with it. Christ is the head. Be unified in love and wisdom and understanding so that you will have the stability of your faith in Christ who has hidden all the treasures of wisdom and of understanding. And these moments... If you're here this morning and you're hearing the gospel explained and you're going, Christ is not my treasure and he has been an app. He has never been my operating system. I need to repent and I need to to delete my operating system. and I need to allow Christ to be my operating system. I need to surrender my life fully to him. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, I would ask you to surrender your life to him. In Christ is the fullness of God. In Christ, is the, he's the hidden treasure. He's everything you could possibly need, want, or imagine, not just for eternity, but for today. 
And so I would ask you, I would call you to repent and trust in Jesus this morning. Before you leave, I'll be in the back of the room as we sing this song to reflect and to think about all that God has said. I would love to talk to you. Secondly, if you're a follower of Christ and you're not praying and fighting on behalf of one another, then take that list you made and maybe even follow up and get some others on your list. And let's go to, let's fight this week, man. Let is, let's get in formation. And when we leave this building, let's leave on mission, in formation, ready to go to war this week. We're sick of getting pushed around, man. We are going to fight this week. We're going to pray for each other. We're going to sweat for each other. We're going to go to war for each other. And we're going to lovingly, graciously share the gospel with the people across the street and around the world. We're going to go after the nations when we leave this building. We're on a mission and we're fighting for one another because the hidden treasure is of such value. Christ is supreme in all things. And there's a whole bunch of people in our city who think that Christ isn't supreme in all things. And half of them go to church. And they still don't realize that Christ is supreme in all things. And so they need Jesus too. The people not going and the people that are going, many of them, they all need Jesus. And so we need to go out as an army struggling and fighting on behalf. and whatever. So whatever God's saying to you in that, do something about it, okay? Pray about it and then obey whatever he's telling you. Father, we pray that you would help us apply and appropriate these truths in our lives. God, that we would not just continue to go through the motions of a superficial Christian life, but God, that we would really, you would be the foundation, God, that we would allow you to take over every area of our lives, that there would not be a le- a, an area that we shut the door to you, but you'd have free reign to root out the viruses and the diseases in our lives. And then, Father, I pray this week that we would fight on, your, on, on behalf of one another, that we would go to you in prayer and that we would struggle, that we would realize that none of us are in this alone. We need each other and that we would be unified in love and in wisdom and understanding and the knowledge of the truth that is found in Christ. You would be our center. In your name we pray. Amen.